A suffering veteran finds new meaning and purpose after traveling with a dog damaged by the same combat that ruined his military career. Are you just watching episode 126, Dog? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. And I'm Tim Martin. And we chose a, I think it's kind of a different movie for us. We don't typically, you know, hang towards these, you know, sort of niche, niche mm. movies. I, I really think this is... Not all heroes wear capes. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely a different type. It's not even what you would think of as an animal movie because the audience isn't, you know, kids. This mm. is a, a movie about a dog that is definitely got mature adult themes to it. It's not something you take your very dog loving child <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's a good movie i wouldn't have thought to go see it if you hadn't have mentioned it i don't think i even had seen a trailer for it till you mentioned it but i can see why this particular yeah. movie would be near and dear to your heart and honestly i sort of feel like it was a little bit of a bait and switch with the trailers but not necessarily in a bad way the trailers made it to me to my wife for that matter made it look a lot more like a comedy but this was more emotional than I anticipated it being. Yeah. I think they tried to make it look like a chick flick, mainly because of its release date. I'm speaking particularly to the, the Valentine trailer uh, that they put out specifically. They kind of made it look like it was like the love-hate relationship that's usually portrayed in a rom-com between the guy and the girl, mm-hmm. but it was between the guy and the dog in this instance. And then they had the little teaser at the end that said, and, oh, by the way, the dog doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was nice that they told everybody in advance that the dog didn't die. <laughs> that was actually one of the reasons my wife didn't want to see it was because she was sure it was going to be a sad mm-hmm. movie. It turns out she wasn't too terribly far from the truth, but... It was sad for a different reason. Yeah, exactly. Well, we always talk about the score of a movie. This movie didn't really have a score. It was more pop music that was played throughout. It had a a very different kind of list of music. Anything from Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries to... Yep. Kenny Rogers' uh, Gambler. Yeah, and it also had one of my favorite sing-alongs, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Oh, In yeah. The jungle, <laughs> the 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 jungle, the lion <laughs> sleeps tonight. Yeah, anyway. We have a YouTube music subscription mm-hmm. here, and I tried to build a playlist of the music, but it was just half of them are, are missing from their <laughs> library. So. Yeah. I sort of like the ones where they put in culturally, uh, culture, culturally appropriate uh, music from yeah. our culture. <laughs> yeah. And the inclusion of the gambler and, and in the jungle or the lion sleeps tonight both really sold, <laughs> sold me on the music. <laughs> yeah. But of course, I can't hear the lion sleeps tonight without thinking of the Lion King, of course, mm. and Timon and Pumbaa singing it. <laughs> I have a lot of memories with that. So none of them really clash, but yeah, it's a uh, it, good, it's a it's good. a cool song. I always find myself singing along with it wherever I hear it. Yeah, that that's pretty much what it was. I mean, the the movie just had it was it's a road trip. It kind of reminds me a little bit. Did you ever see the movie Elizabeth Town? No, no, I don't think I have. 
It's a really slow paced and very sad movie, but it has mine just went blank. Orlando Bloom and Kristen Dunst. And it's a story about a a young man from California who flies to Elizabethtown, Kentucky, which is just outside of Louisville. And they filmed parts of it in, they actually filmed most of it on location. But his dad had passed away and they had cremated him and he flew, I guess the family was a bit of a estranged, but he flew from the West Coast out to Kentucky to collect his dad's ashes and and bring them home. And he was in the process of committing suicide at the beginning of the movie because he'd done something stupid in in his advertising career and had but not only been lost his job, but got blacklisted from the industry and he felt his life was over. Oof. And so he was actually getting ready to commit suicide when the call came that his dad had passed away and his mom wanted him to go get the ashes. So the whole point of the movie was that he's making this long trip, road trip with his dad's ashes across country from Louisville, Kentucky, back to California. And he had met this flight attendant on the plane ride to uh, Elizabethtown. And she kind of talks to him and, and they end up hooking up after afterwards and and she kind of talks him through some of his pain and uh, and then gives him like this roadmap of things he's supposed to do on the on the road trip and and a complete with a soundtrack that she's supposed to listen to and it's like this big hmm. bible of CDs and everything so it's it's a very slow paced very sad but at at the same time it has a good ending but it's a very sad movie and a lot of people don't like it because it is so slow paced and and such but I- it sounds emotionally intense. It is very, which yeah. was they have this. This one was more emotionally intense than I anticipated. Yeah, it's, too, it's, a, it's a, a longer version to be honest, because it's him dealing with <laughs> the pain of losing his dad, the pain of thinking his life was over. But they mix it with enough humor to keep it from just you know being. I'll just put a bullet in my head and and you know let me out of this yeah. movie kind of thing. But it's just a. A super intense movie, and this kind of reminded me of it, but in a slightly more lighthearted, and it had a dog, which, you know, that one was more of a rom-com, but really heavy on mm-hmm. the on the uh, emotion. Well, we're not talking about Elizabethtown, though that might be a really interesting right. movie to talk about sometime. Yeah, that, that might be a good one. Dog is the interesting movie in that there is a lot of healing despite the adult content i would not like i said i would not take families to see this movie or even yeah watching that at home or whatever i don't think that any of the topics the themes or anything are are healthy discussions for young children or teenagers it's definitely a niche movie for a particular audience and and that would be veterans families of veterans people who have dealt with ptsd and are trying to find healing People who love dogs who have been through any of those things as well. So it's it's a niche market, but I think it's a good movie for, for people who are in that audience. Yep. Yeah, I agree. The emotional intensity of the movie was more than I was ready to handle. I was expecting not quite a rom-com, but more of a comedy like in the vein of Turner and Hooch. Mm-hmm. If you remember that that Hanks movie from back in the 90s, where it was just him learning to get along with the dog and, and everything like that. But this really was PTSD is such a 
foundational undercurrent of the entire movie. I actually came out of it in a bad mood, which is really, <laughs> really unusual for a movie for me to, to impact me that way. Mm-hmm. But like you said, I, I am, I am in that target audience where I'm a vet myself and my nephew and my, one of my best friends are both combat veterans. And my nephew actually, when he came back from Afghanistan, was almost incapable of reintegrating into society and in very mm-hmm. much the same way that, that Jackson Briggs is. Right. But part of that was because I could, you know, overlay the characters of the story on people that I love in my actual life. The fact that for two thirds of this movie, I found Jackson Briggs to be a despisable person made it that much more difficult for me. Right. Yeah. He doesn't come across as a very personable, nice guy, somebody you want to hang out with. But like you said, that's, I think the way, what was driving his character was his trauma. And we're going to deal with that extensively because really that's the only theme Hmm. of the movie. So all of our discussion is going to be centered around that, that trauma, because that's what the whole movie is about. And, you know, Channing Tatum, I enjoy his acting as a general rule, mm-hmm. but he's one of those actors where his moral choices in the past, like that whole Magic Mike series of movies, constantly provide shadow over my assessment of him. Yeah. It's like the actors, uh, Mark Ruffalo is actually a, an important one. For me, because I enjoy his acting. We actually just caught the end of Now You See Me 2 mm-hmm. the other day. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoy his acting, but his his politics cast a shadow over my enjoyment of his performance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it has a, an impact on how I accept their characters. Mm-hmm. Moving forward. Yeah. And the fact that is, he's not just that he's acting in this, that he's one of the directors of it. He's heavily flavored the movie in multiple ways. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I want to stress that they did a really good job nailing the, uh, and we'll talk about it in a moment, the military mindset. Mm-hmm. Every single person that I served with <laughs> and every person that I have met uh, after getting out, who also served, uh, I think they would look at this and say, oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that is definitely the way it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I was actually looking at the IMDb cast listing, and they had five military consultants listed. And I think they did a really good job with only a few minor errors. Which may have been intentional. Yeah, which exactly. Mm-hmm. When I was in the service back in the 90s, there was a common understanding among service members that Hollywood had to mess up certain portions of of a military performance on screen so that they could not be mistaken for the real thing. Mm-hmm. One that was commonly held, and I have no idea if this is true, is that there had to be clear and obvious mistakes on a military uniform. You know, you go back in time and, and you look at military uniforms in, in Hollywood and you'll see the name tag is on the wrong side or the, the flag is is on the wrong shoulder, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Stuff that a military person might recognize, but a civilian might not. So, it, you know, it, it doesn't stand out on the screen as being a blatant error. 
But somebody you know with the eye to, to the subtlety of it would notice. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I don't know how true that is. It, it might be that that's included when they have military blessings. And I think that dog probably had cooperation of the United States military, the United States army specifically hmm. in this movie, because it, it felt like it was respectful to the topic in a way where the army would embrace it. I don't know. I might disagree with that because some of okay. the commentary of the movie is that once a soldier or a dog uh, is no longer useful, the army just throws it out. And that was, I think that's mm. kind of a negative take on the army. And I'm not entirely sure they would appreciate a movie that gives that spin. I believe that they would. Mm. Particularly the military, the last... 10 years or so hmm. they really and we'll talk about this a little bit more yeah but they they really are getting better at recognizing where they're failing their veterans and part of helping veterans reintegrate after particularly after combat service is educating the public so that they know what they're dealing with right yeah that's understandable I just want to go back just a little bit in my reactions to this movie and just comment about the fact that, as you said, you didn't like Jackson for the first half of the movie. And I think part of that is, you know, some of the stops he goes along on his journey, to me, they seemed, while they spoke to his character, and they moved the slim plot. I don't, this movie had a very slim plot to it. Yeah. It was not complicated. <laughs> it was not a complicated movie. I think that while the stops he makes on his journey, and they do move his character along, they do speak to his character, but I just yeah. honestly felt they were unnecessary. And Yeah, I agree. 100%. And I think that that may have, I don't know whose decision it was, whether they were just trying to make the, you know, the mil militariness, you know, the of him, you know, stand out, you know, that it's made him into such a jerk, but, you know, like stopping at a bar and trying to pick up women when he's supposed to be taking a dog cross country on a very tight schedule. Why did he stop, you know, and, yeah. and all of this kind of stuff. So, yeah, a lot of that seemed really unnecessary to me and added to the adult content to the movie that probably if they had left it out may have made the message a little bit more accessible to a wider audience, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah. I wonder how much of that was led by Tatum's personal character. Mm -hmm. You know, if this is the way he sees this character, so this is the way he wanted to portray them, mm -hmm. which it, and, you know, going back to that shadow of moral true life character that I mentioned before, mm -hmm. it may just be that these are the lens, you know, the color of the lenses that he sees the world through. Right. This is how he wanted to drive the point home to the audience that this guy was completely broken. Mm -hmm. Maybe. But, you know, in the end, for me, the movie was a dual redemption arc, both mm -hmm. of Jackson Briggs and of Lulu. Mm -hmm. And as I've said multiple times here. I am a sucker for a good redemption story. <laughs> so it would be wrong to say I enjoyed the movie, but I definitely appreciated the movie. And I think that even with all the the excessive adult content, and there was excessive, e even though there was no nudity, 
It wasn't as bad as redeeming love. That's kind of bad. <laughs> yeah, that's that boy. That that really does speak poorly to it, doesn't it? But there was a lot of a lot of bad language, which mm-hmm. I do want to point out is very common in the oh, military. Oh yeah, I mean, extremely common in the military. That's why they what is, what is it? They say that you swear like a sailor or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it probably holds true to swear like a soldier. <laughs> yeah, that, no, no doubt. I mean. I can tell you stories. (laughs) So, you know, maybe that wasn't as much out of place, but the moral decisions that Jackson makes as a character, I think were over, like you were saying, over the top, necessary, necessary to establish this character, but done in an over the top way that made the movie less accessible. Right. Yeah. I think that's what it is, is it reduced the accessibility for the it it narrowed the audience by putting that kind of stuff in there. Yeah. I have met a couple people who have seen the movie, but to be honest, most people hadn't even heard of it. So I think their attempt, like with the Valentine trailer, I think their attempt was to broaden the audience, but I don't think it worked because people weren't talking about it. You have to generate some interest that people are talking about in order to get a, a big audience for a movie. I got the impression this was sort of a labor of love for Tatum. Yeah. You, you know, his his name is on the producer credits and the director credits. And there are directors and, and actors played, who've done that. I mean, that's what Mel Gibson yeah. did with The Passion of the Christ. That was very much his movie. So I can see that. You know, it's something that you're passionate about. You put your money behind, your name behind, and that's just what you want to do. I'm I'm willing to bet he's played so many military people in, in his past that he's met Lots of military people. Mm-hmm. It, it probably, I think it's probably a labor of love for him. Yeah. And objectionable material we're seeing is just because of the, the, you know. Who he is. How he perceives it. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm going to remind everybody that the show notes for this particular episode are going to be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 126. If you'd like to give us feedback, you can comment there. Or you can call 513-818-2959 or email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. We'd love to hear your take on the reviews that we do and your comments uh, can help others as well. If they're come to our show notes or the other places that people interact with us uh, to find out more about what you thought about the movie. We appreciate that. Indeed. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into our themes. And the first theme was one... That we had actually both come up with in diff- from different directions. Right, yeah. There's a line in the movie that talks about how the army deals with broken people. And we'll talk about it in a second. But from me coming from a, a veteran's background, that really is just part of the overall military mindset that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And that that's what I wanted to call the first thing that we talked with. And, and that's... The military mindset and how it's portrayed in the movie Dog. It actually starts with Jackson desperately calling the personnel operations of the military to try and get back into the rotation. I presume, I, I'm not exactly sure how this works, but I presume to go over as a civilian contractor assigned to a military unit, the unit that he had served with before he was medically discharged. You get the impression that he's... Yeah, everything he's yeah, doing he's, is to get himself back in shape so that he can serve again. He's yep. trying to stay fit. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it it's not because he wants to serve. 
it's because he doesn't know anything else. The he has no the purpose. combat service has yeah. become his purpose and his right. life. Yeah, and you know, opening with that concept, that desperate need was part of the that made it difficult for me because when I had gotten out of the service in 1998, and when three years later, 2001, 9/11 hit. I very seriously considered getting back into shape and going back into the service because I felt like, you know, I was needed to serve again. And I can empathize with what they were portraying of Jackson's character Mm -hmm. in such a way that I felt sort of betrayed when he turned out to be such a a complete jerk. Yeah. Well, and and just to kind of put this in, into perspective as well, the movie actually opens with him having an episode. So he wakes up on the uh, floor yeah. after one of his seizures, and then he's like getting up off the floor and calling them saying, put me back in rotation. So he he's lying to himself about his preparedness. He's lying to them about and his lying preparedness. To, yeah. yeah. And very early in the movie, he gets the call. From his captain, the guy that he is trying to convince to send a letter like letter to of, yeah, letter of recommendation. personnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you find out that one of the guys that Jackson served with, Sergeant Rodriguez, you find out that he died. I don't know when they actually established that he committed suicide, if it was in the funeral scene or if it was later when he was talking to... It was throughout the movie. He made some comment about that he had a car accident, but it was... A purposeful car accident kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They did say that he was like driving 120 miles an hour into a tree. Yeah. You know, from that point on, there's a line in that scene where they say, Rangers find a way to die. And it's done in such a way where it is presented as a common understanding among army rangers. I couldn't find any evidence that this is actually a thing? Well, I don't think it would be something they'd advertise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that that's my point. Uh, even though I couldn't find any uh, evidence on the internet, it may still be a thing. Mm-hmm. But it's if it is a thing, it is such a sad thing. Mm-hmm. And it speaks in so many ways to the the first glimpses of that military mindset in Dog. Mm-hmm. How when combat vets get out and i want to stress that this has gotten so much better over the last decade decade and a half than than it was even as recently as as the 90s and certainly the end of vietnam Mm -hmm. what you go through in a combat environment changes it doesn't just impact you the way that the death of a family member or the death of of a friend does or even just going through some other type of trauma, like a airline crash or a car crash. Or there's lots of things that give people PTSD, but combat mm-hmm. PTSD is is different in that your hair triggered in a way that never goes away. I don't have it. I'm speaking from you know knowledge right. of my dad and, and knowledge of other veterans of my life, but it, it gives you that hyper awareness of your environment that you can never put aside. It's like my dad will never sit with his back to the door. He always has to have his back to a wall, like if he goes into a restaurant. And he's, you know, decades past his service, and he still has to be able to see the entrances to a room and 
at all times. See as much of the room as possible. Yeah. I know that entirely. But I don't want to jump too far into our other topics. (laughs) It does suggest that Army Rangers and many combat warriors, that they feel compelled to go out in a blaze of glory. It's accepted among the, the people at this funeral that rangers do not die of natural causes. Mm-hmm. And depression, particularly post-service depression, is so addressable, even though you have to want to be treated. But, you know, there's so much that goes into it. But it's so common of the military mindset. They just accepted it. They just accept, hey, rangers find a way to die. Mm-hmm. And it's an issue of control controlling how you go out. I have heard it said that when you come back from each combat engagement, that you you sort of feel cheated that that wasn't your one to die in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of burned into the psyche of veterans who see frequent combat, whose purpose is to go out, engage the enemy, and come back. And the military, particularly in the past, did not address that. They, you know, hand you your papers, thank you for your service, and usher you out the door. And that was the end of it. There was nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, that was the line in this movie that, you know, we both kind of hit on was that, you know, the discussion Jackson had with Lulu about, you know, he, he was talking to a dog, obviously. So this was. Um, <laughs> I was going to say the discussion with the dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wasn't <laughs> expecting a reply, obviously, but he did a lot of one sided a, a lot of one sided <laughs> talks in this movie. But he said, you know, the army has no place for liabilities, and that's what you are now. And just to put this in context, this drive of taking Lulu to her handler's funeral is her last mission. I mean, she is slotted to be put down when it's over. And so his interaction with Lulu is all on the understanding that this is her death row for her. Yeah. And that colors, you know, his interactions with her throughout the movie. So, but, you know, the whole point of this movie is putting the dog in the position of where a lot of soldiers feel. And Mm -hmm. she's in a weird way personifying what happens (laughs) to soldiers. And yeah. um and so that's you know the this whole idea of she's now a liability nobody can handle her um she's unpredictable that speaks as much to Jackson as it does I mean he's oh yeah absolutely nobody can handle him he's uh, unpredictable and so everything that Lulu is is what he is and it's there's a definite mm-hmm. parallel going on and so when he admits to her that she, that she's a liability in a way he's admitting that he's a liability too yeah. We want to look at this statement, the Army has no place for liabilities, and rail against it. We want to we want to say that is clearly wrong. Mm-hmm. But I want to step up and say, no, not really. When you look at this from the Army's point of view, or from the point of view of a soldier going into combat, if you have a, a member of your combat force upon whom your very survival may hinge... You don't want them there with you. Right. No matter how much you like him as a person or like her as a person, it comes down to them watching your back 
when they might freak out. You don't want to take that risk. Yeah. And that's just on a personal level. If you have a a soldier or a sailor or an airman or a Marine who, for even the best of reasons, may compromise a mission because of suffering a seizure from concussions or suffering a migraine, and it costs the mission, in the grand scheme of things, that mission may be the linchpin for a military campaign or, you know, even an entire country in the Mm -hmm. long term. So even though it does seem like chewing them up and spitting them out, the Army has to look and the military in general, I'm speaking to the army because that's what I know. Right. They have to look at not only the big picture, but the grand picture. And sometimes they have to make those tough choices. And Lulu, by all intents and purposes, not only was she unadoptable at the start of this movie, she was unapproachable. Right. So unpredictable that she could be nice one moment and then take your hand off the next. So they yeah. they really didn't know what to do with her. Yeah. But she was doing what she was trained. There's a, a scene later on where they're walking through a, a hotel lobby and Lulu sees a man dressed in traditional Muslim garb. Mm-hmm. Arab guard, I, I would say. Yeah. Arab guard. Yeah. Good point. And she chases him down and she tackles him from behind. Now mm-hmm. she's wearing the muzzle, so she can't bite him and do damage. But, you know, <laughs> being tackled is is never a, a pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. But that's what the military trained her to do. This was this was her her very existence for her entire time of service. And, you know, for a dog, we like to look at our pets. And we recognize that they have personalities and we we think of them as people. As a matter of fact, we use Banfield Pet Hospital, which is part of the PetSmart mm-hmm. chain. And they they refer to us as pet parents. And, uh, you know, our dog, Sherry, they call me her daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm like, well, first off, I am not her daddy. I'm her owner. Yeah. I mean, so many people look at animals as people, and it's even referenced in in dog, too. Animals are people, too, man. No. (laughs) By definition, they are not people. And when you treat them like people, you put a lot of stress on them because I think that was my favorite thing about – I'm going to do another cross-cultural reference here, but the Dog Whisperer which was a Nat Geo Geo show, he kept emphasizing with people that half the problems that people have with their pets is because they expect them and treat them like people. And they need to be treated and expected to behave like dogs because that's what they are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, dogs have, um, especially dogs that are trained for a a particular purpose, Mm -hmm. that drives their reactions to everything. And we see that throughout that Lulu has a purpose and that's all she knows how to do. And that's another parallel with Jackson because Jackson had a purpose and that was all he knew how to do. And now he's been invalided out. Did I say that right? Invalided out. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He can't serve anymore. 
And for obvious reasons. I mean, they open the movie showing you the obvious reason why he can't serve anymore. Yeah. And no doubt going into the movie. Yeah. No doubt going in that this guy should not be serving anymore because he's having unpredictable seizures because of head trauma. Um, he can lie to himself. He can lie to everybody, but he is not capable of serving anymore. I'm not entirely sure whether he's even capable of driving a car, but he's. <laughs> he's yeah. No kidding. He's doing it. So, yeah, this is this parallel again that. You know, you get stuck in that that rut of what your purpose is, and you're not able to look beyond it or be retrained or redirected or find a different purpose, a different meaning, a different way to go. Yeah. It's even clearer with Lulu because in the end, a canine unit is a tool. Mm -hmm. They are counted uh, as soldiers, though, aren't they? Don't they get Yeah, yeah. they are. They Mm -hmm. are. But it's sort of a a weird line between a a tool and a, a soldier. And sometimes soldiers feel like they're being treated as a tool too, yeah. just for the record. <laughs> yeah. But dogs are animals of habit. Literally, they, they're trained to do the, the same thing. And it actually comes out in a sort of humorous way in the movie. They point out at one point that Lulu was actually trained to sniff out drugs mm-hmm. in the military. And then Jackson, for some weird reason, continues to stop at places in Oregon. <laughs> Where taupe is completely legal. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, I would add six hours to my drive to drive around Oregon. <laughs> Another thing I noticed is he almost never takes interstates. In the movie, he's almost never taking interstates where he could drive straight through without needing to stop anywhere. Mm-hmm. But then it probably wouldn't have served the movie if if uh, if he didn't run off, you know, to that, that pot growing Greenhouse to mm-hmm. where they, they introduce Gus and Tamara, I think, is uh, are the characters' names. Yeah, it, Lulu's a tool, and the fact that she is clearly unadoptable at the very beginning, putting her down, if, if there were no character arc for Lulu, she would need to have been put down at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm glad she wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think that, that part of that... We've already spoken about her handler committing suicide. There's a fact that you had put here in the show notes that 90% of military dogs are adopted by their former handlers. It was probably the only person who could handle her was the one who committed suicide. And she had no connection with anybody else. So there was no advocate for her once he left this world. And that was... The You know, the sad thing for her is that and even Jackson, his initial reaction to her is to just call her dog because he knows that what she's slated for and he doesn't want to get an emotional attachment with her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can sort of understand that. Yeah. He, he was uh, he was essentially a hospice worker, mm-hmm. a really bad hospice. worker. <laughs> yeah. There were two other things that I wanted to mention in the military mindset. The first was. It plays a, a an underpinning role in, in the movie. They're carrying around the I Love Me book for Lulu. Actually, I, I believe he's supposed to give it to Rodriguez's parents, right? I think so, yeah. But I think he keeps it in the end. It, it may not be Lulu's I Love You book. It might have been Rodriguez's. And Lulu played such a big part in it because, yeah, they, yeah, they were exactly. they served together, yeah. And I was curious about that because I didn't have anything like that when I served. So I checked with a buddy of mine who joined a month later than I did. He joined up and he actually went from a military intelligence career where we met uh, and his first enlistment and he became an, a combat scout. 
He ended up serving 25 years. He did five combat deployments, was blown up once, and saw the inside of a hospital far too many times. But I asked him about the I Love Me book, and he said, uh, oh, it, it's a very real thing. Hmm. It's a, a place where you keep the you keep every military record because one of the things that the the personnel departments in the military are famous for is the ability to lose paperwork they literally can set a piece of paper on on a counter and have it vanish while they're looking at it hmm. it's, it's miraculous what they're capable of losing so they developed these i love you books these binders where you could keep every military document every achievement every certification every college credit, the whole kit and caboodle, so that you could pull that out and provide proof to to fix S1's mistakes. So it's a little misrepresented in the movie because in the movie, you know, they have... A lot of personal stuff in DVDs, there. DVDs. Yeah. Yeah. And... Poetry. Recovery stuff, uh, counseling <laughs> stuff, and yeah. art and, and whatnot. Maybe that was what where Rodriguez took it after he came back or something. So... It, yeah. It, yeah. Above and beyond. Yeah. Even my buddy Rob was saying he's never seen it that way, but it, you know, it could be. Uh, he even pointed out that there's a version of the I Love Me book called the Good Soldier book that military defense attorneys use to provide to the panels and court martials, which are, are essentially the jury. Mm-hmm. So they can view a soldier's accomplishments in history in such a way that it provides context to their actions. So that that actually leads into the final line that I wanted to talk about in the military mindset, where it's near the end of the movie, where Jackson is getting ready to uh, to deliver Lulu to the funeral. And he knows that Lulu still has some issues. And uh, even though she's gotten better, improved <laughs> drastically. Yeah. 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 He says they don't know what it takes to be a hero. This one struck home for me because... It's so important to remember that more than just a single event, these combat veterans, they went through a car crash or an airplane crash or a death of a family member. They went through that level of trauma every time they went out to a combat engagement. And you can't do that kind of thing without sacrificing a portion of your psyche. Mm Mm-hmm. And I hate to to break it into us versus them, but so many civilians just don't comprehend the level of invisible sacrifice that these men and women make when they do that. And what it takes to be a hero is to be able to tell yourself that you are subjecting yourself to this for such an important reason. Yeah. And I think that that this even goes beyond military service. I think it's first responder experience. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like police yeah. and, and firefighters Amen. and all of those people, they, they live on the edge. They may have the, the firefighters and the policemen have, may have more downtime than military personnel do, but the traumas that they go through are just as real. And this is, mm. you know, something that can, you know, I mean, a fireman is quite willing to go into a burning building to rescue somebody. I, there, you can't get much more self-sacrificing yeah. than that. So, And, you know, after 9-11, one of the reasons that George W. Bush is one of my favorite presidents, he did this impromptu speech at uh, at Ground Zero mm-hmm. 
a couple weeks. I, I want to say it was a couple weeks after. I think it was the day 9/11. after, actually. Was it the day after? Yeah. Wow. He calls out the the work of the first responders there. Mm-hmm. And one of the few good things that came out of the 9-11 attacks was that for a little while, first responders, they got the spotlight that they deserved mm-hmm. for the work that they were doing. Right. And, you know, sort of that, some of that also bled over to the the soldiers and, and yeah. the military who were out fighting the war on terror. Yeah. So I think that actually helped alleviate a little bit of the the post-Vietnam mindset where uh, men and women were coming back from Vietnam, walking through the airport and getting spit on. Yeah. And we're kind of going through that transition with police right now because we went through yeah during uh, 2020, the whole Black Lives Matter and the uh, defund the police campaign. Defund the police. And, and yeah. now I think that, you know, a lot of these cities that are just being buried, just destroyed by crime are realizing you know, we actually need those police and, you know, changing. I think it was even the the president in his State of the Union said, we're going to fund police, you know, and it's like, <laughs> oh, how they changed their tune. They found out we actually need our police to be willing to put themselves in, in those positions. So, yeah, but moving on, I do want to yep. remind everybody that you could be listening to this live if you are on Discord right now while we are recording this. You can join us on Discord by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash Discord. We'd love to grow that community. It is actually a place where we can get together and have voice chats or, or typed chats about all kinds of issues. We have open topic I haven't actually done it yet because we don't have a big enough group, but as more people join, I'd love to schedule like round table or discussion nights in our chat rooms where we can talk about either theology or movies and entertainment. Just, you know, if you don't have people in your life that you can just, you know, go all nerdy on a movie or something, you know, geek out on your your latest comic or something like that. I want our community in Discord to be something like that, where you can come find like-minded people to to chat about such things. So do not do join us there. You can also join us on Facebook. That's it. Are you just watching dot com slash community that takes you directly to our Facebook group. And if you join there, there's just like three questions to answer. Answer those you're automatically in. And both places we give what we're going to be recording on in a advanced so that you know what movie we're going to be talking about. And and we just love to have you there. So the things that I saw in this movie, all I I think this is kind of my perspective as a woman and a non-veteran looking at this movie was, you know, that there's a lot of Jackson being dishonest in this movie. And I think that Hmm. the dishonesty of his character, especially at the beginning of the movie, is what makes him such a jerk. He's being dishonest to himself. He's being dishonest to the people around him. He's definitely being dishonest to his captain and to the the army in general and trying to, you know, get back into to combat. And the thing that really struck me in one of the scenes that's so bad is, you know, he's he's going to this bar and he's like trying to pick up women. And, yeah. you know, they all see through him. I mean, it, they all, you know chat with him for a little while and then leave him sitting, you know, some of them and not very he, nicely. He's lying through his teeth the entire time, right, too. Right, yeah. For one thing, women are a lot smarter than you think we are. <laughs> we know when a man's lying to us. But Absolutely. I will never say anything different. <laughs> well, and, and you know, the interesting thing is, is that I've actually have met a combat veteran who 
has, I think I met him on a single site once and he was actually rubs me in this, in the wrong way, the same way Jackson rubs these women in the bar the wrong way. And, uh. and it's really difficult because I look at him as somebody who needs somebody in his life. I just can't be that person, you know? And it's mm-hmm. sad that there are so many men who come home and they don't have, you know, someone like you and your wife to share the burden with. Yeah. And that's what Jackson's looking for. I mean, he, he can't get back into combat. He's looking for someone to share his burden, but he's being dishonest about it. And when you're being dishonest about it, you don't get honesty in return. And so by lying about everything and by putting on this facade as I'm okay, I'm the conquering hero, and I'm okay, and all of that stuff, he's not being genuine. And so because he's not being genuine, he can't get a genuine response from the from the people he's with. And then he uses like Lulu, he's going back out to the car (laughs) and these ladies walk by with a dog and they're like, Oh, what kind of dog is then he realizes that Lulu can be a a girl magnet because dogs typically are. (laughs) Yeah. Dogs and children. Dogs and children. Yeah. I'm just surprised he didn't think of it earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Except that Lulu was not a dog you could take into the bar. Uh, Fair point. (laughs) Until he starts interacting with Lulu, honestly, then he and then that makes him a more honest person. And so I can't just like start reading off scripture about, you know, lying being versus honest, because really the best advice is to just go read your Bible, because truth is such a strong Mm -hmm. thread through the entire scripture. But I did find a series of verses in 1 Peter, it's uh, 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12, that I think kind of encapsulates this. It's, for the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. And I think that that encompasses Jackson so well, because he's he's wanting something. He doesn't know what he wants. He wants purpose, really. Yeah. But because he can't be honest... With anybody. I mean, every word out of his mouth for like the first half of the movie is a lie. (laughs) He does not speak truthfully. And so he can't find life and good days because he's not being honest with himself or anyone else. And so I think that he really personifies the opposite of what that verse is speaking of. It's like that if you can't, if you're putting on facades, if you can't treat the world honestly, then you're not going to find that support, that encouragement, and that purpose that you're looking for. There's a clear part where, you know, Jackson turns the corner. He tries to use Lulu as a service dog for a blind veteran to get a... (laughs) A nice room. Comped hotel room. Yeah. A suite, actually, because, (laughs) you know, it's got two rooms and everything like that. He gets caught in doing that because Lulu goes chasing after this Arab doctor. And him getting caught is actually a turning point for his character. And then a little later on in the movie, there's a homeless guy who steals Rodriguez's stuff and then claims to be a veteran. And and he makes a comment about the guy being stolen valor. Mm -hmm. And I want to stress that stolen valor is something that gets under every veteran's skin. I think I'm safe in saying that. Yeah where somebody claims to be a vet in order to reap the the perceived benefits of of that service without actually making the sacrifice. He makes a comment about the stolen valor, but, you know, 
30 minutes earlier, that is exactly what he was doing <laughs> through his dishonesty and, right. and trying to, to con the hotel. Right, right. So I think that was, for me, that was when he was turning the corner about this this lack of honesty impacting any chance of recovery that he had. Right, yeah. And, and that was, you know, part of that redemption arc that you like so much is that he starts learning yeah. to tell the truth. And the truth was, I mean... Granted, it's taking the verse out of context, but the truth really does set you free because you get so locked in by your lies. It's like the more lies you tell, the more lies you have to tell. And and after a while, you're just like, is there like chains holding you down because you can't you can't feel like there's any room to be honest because you've locked yourself in by all those lies. The definite problem with him is, is, you know, the continual lying it goes on and then when he start turns the corner and starts telling the truth is when he starts healing and mm-hmm. the other thing that i wanted to talk about in this movie was the healing through empathy and this is something that is brought forward by the character noah who has lulu's brother actual littermate who was another mm-hmm. another military dog who came back just as damaged as lulu and noah gave him you know the opportunity to heal and he made the comment you know that when he stopped struggling. When he stopped struggling, yeah. I found out I could stop struggling too. So he he learned how to heal by giving his dog the opportunity to heal. And that was yeah. this this healing through empathy of finding someone to share your burden with and and being able to to pass that burden off because you're able to let somebody else pass that burden off. Because at the beginning of the movie, Jackson never calls Lulu by her name. He just, as I mentioned earlier, he calls her dog because he doesn't want to have that emotional bond with her. He knows she's destined to die. And I suspect that dog in a way is a constant reminder of this comrade in arms, a buddy of his who is no longer living. And so in, in a way, just being with her is emotionally hard for him because it's her unpredictability and, and everything is a reminder mm-hmm. of his own personal state, but it's also a reminder that her handler, his his comrade in arms, his buddy has committed suicide. And so Jackson with Noah have this discussion about needing to uh, find healing. And so at the end of the movie, he starts actually interacting more with Lulu. He he goes to the trouble of finding yeah. Lulu a place to sleep. You know, the psychic told him that Lulu wanted a <laughs> high-end mattress to sleep on, that she never had anything so nice. And, and so he gets into the hotel with a lie, obviously. But he starts really connecting with Lulu. And Lulu gets more manageable the more he connects with her. And right. because she yeah. starts seeing him as her handler. The more he recognizes the the Lulu that was versus the Lulu that is, right. the more he begins to apply it to his recovery process, too. There's one point where he says, what happened to you, dog? In theater, you would go from unit member to unit member muzzling and begging for treats and stuff like that. And I think when he said that, it was sort of implied that he was like, you know, I see me in that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So scripturally, we can apply this by going to Galatians 6, 2 through 3. This is actually a very well-known passage. Uh, Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You know, going back to the dishonesty thing is that you deceive yourself when you are trying to be something that you're not. 
but if you carry another's burdens, then you are fulfilling the law of Christ and, and serving through empathy, where you're no longer selfishly considering yourself, but you're giving up self for someone else. And when you give up self for someone else, that loss of inward focus actually heals. Yeah. I think the more we focus on ourselves, the more depressing it is, because we always come up with the things that we're not. It's like we, if you're constantly thinking about you're overweight, or you're not good looking, or you're getting old, or, mm-hmm. you know, you, you start getting so inward focused that everything about you depresses you, because we all are not great. I mean, you may deceive the rest of the world in thinking that we are, you know, you might put on that facade for other people, but internally, we all know that we're not great. And so, when you focus on that, it becomes depressing. But if you, instead of focusing on on yourself and seeing all of the things wrong that you're putting on the facade to cover up, if you just put others first and stop thinking about yourself, then you find healing because you're no longer, that inward focus is gone because you're thinking about other people more. And I think you see that through Jackson's character as he empathizes more with Lulu. He stops thinking about himself Mm -hmm. so much. Yeah, and that's the thing, though, is that first step, even if that first step may not necessarily be putting other people to yourself, but stop thinking about yourself long enough to think about how other people are are having their own problems. Right. Yeah. As the first step. Right. And then the other scripture that I have here is, this is uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. And this is going to lead directly into, I think, our next theme. But before Mm. we go to our next theme... (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank our supporters. We're a listener-supported podcast, and currently we are supported by our patrons, Isaiah Santiano, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman, who give to us monthly, and we thank them so much for their generous support. We couldn't do this without you guys, and so we really appreciate it. We hope more people will support us by going to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash watching, or supporting us by going to paypal.com, paypal.me slash AYJW to donate. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you, everyone, very much. Yeah, yeah. And so our last theme is, you know, carrying on this concept of being thankful and having the peace of God. I think that's, that's really, you know, that the end of that last verse was, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. And that is where the ultimate healing comes from. Cause no matter what the traumas are in life, even if they are to the extent of a military veteran who's gone through combat or mm-hmm. somebody who has been through an abusive relationship or like, you know, the protagonist of our, previous movie, a life of prostitution, of sexual yeah. abuse that has, you know, destroyed the self-perception. People who have been through a house fire, a car wreck, lost a loved one in a plane crash. All of the things that just burden us on a day to day, the pain that fills our lives, all of that can be can find healing through the love of Christ. 
this movie kind of introduces that a little bit, but it's kind of in an odd way. <laughs> yeah. So when Jackson has gone to meet Noah, who is Lulu's brother's father, <laughs> adopter, <laughs> handler, handler. <laughs> They're talking about the struggles that Rodriguez was going through, and, and clearly Noah knew Rodriguez well because he mentioned that they were talking several times. Mm -hmm. And he tells Jackson that recovering vets, that they they need something to believe in. And you actually had a different take on what he was meaning. I was taking it as there's a couple different verses in the Bible, where it talks about the, the word of God being written on people's hearts. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah thirty one thirty three, for instance, says, Instead, this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And I've always read that to speak to how, at least in part, how we have an inherent need to have God in our lives. And the main rebellion of the unredeemed is actually denying that need. Mm. And it makes us miserable. Right. When we deny God, there's just no way to avoid the negative impact that it has on our lives. Romans 2.15 says very similar, the they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciousness confirms this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. And he's talking there about how Gentiles, they can tell right from wrong because they understand the need of God in their lives. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that I understood that Noah was saying Veterans need to believe in something greater themselves. Yeah. But you had a different take on it. Well, it wasn't that so much that I had a different take on it. It's that I understood the lines differently. It was because it, mm -hmm. it was in the context of that you can't find healing until you talk to somebody. And in the context of the movie, he said, you, you need to talk to other people who have been through it or even just yeah. a God or something like that. So he was, he wasn't necessarily referencing God as something that you believe in or that would heal you. It was just more of you need to have an outlet for that grief. You need to be able to turn to somebody with it. And especially in, in the context that he was talking about somebody who understands somebody who's been through it. And yeah. so I think that that was, you know, the reference to God was kind of in passing. It wasn't like he was speaking to a need for God or a need to believe in God. It was just more of you have to have an outlet for this grief and this trauma, and you have to start talking about it. If you can't talk about it to other people, then talk to it to a god. You know, it's kind of like you've got to have be able to talk about it, period. Because if you can't let it yeah. out, if you can't find that release valve, then it's just going to build up inside you and you can't, can't go anywhere with it. But I found it interesting, you know, when you were talking uh, just from this instance about how, you know, God is written on people's hearts in the t context of, you know, being a veteran, my dad is a Vietnam vet. And so he came uh, home from Vietnam and pretty much put it behind him. He tried to forget it and move on with his life. It's influenced him through the decades. I mean, looking back on my life growing up, I can see the distinct issues with, you know, the way he treated jobs, the way we always moved around a lot, and he just couldn't find satisfaction in anything. And he finally got counseling for PTSD late in life. It was actually close to his retirement. 
And one of the things that the counselor, the therapist that he went to told him is that his level, when they tested him for PTSD, he was in such a high percentage that they were really surprised that he had actually held down jobs and supported his family, you know, for all those years since Vietnam, because he said his PTSD levels were so high that usually they see people like him on the streets, unable to hold a job, unable to stay Mm in a home. And he asked him, he's like, do you believe in God? And he says, yes, I'm a professing Christian. And he said, well, that's usually the difference that we see is the the veterans who have this level of PTSD, who are believers, typically handle it better. They're higher functioning. They're able to to still hold down jobs and, and have loving families and interact with people. And I just thought that was interesting that his therapist was able to point that out, you know, after dealing with so many veterans with PTSD, that the ones who are Christians who have an honest, heartfelt trust in Christ were able to have an outlet for that PTSD to be able to function, even though they were so traumatized. And that's why I really feel like you know, that that to me, that's just proof that Christ is the answer. I mean, to all of the traumas in life, if it, you know, Christ is really the only answer that works. Yeah, it it may just be my bias, my perception bias specifically mm-hmm. coming through. But I, I believe that the most successful support groups, AA, NA, you know, all those ones are ones that believe that belief in a higher power is integral to the recovery process Mm -hmm. because, you know, you come into a discussion on addiction or discussion on recovery from PTSD and you come into that effort with an understanding that you have already failed Mm -hmm. to address it yourself. Right. And without believing in that, that higher power to, to give you strength. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, isn't the like the the you're first, not going to get any better. The first step of recovery is admitting you have a problem. Yeah, yeah. For my part, that's one of the reasons that I believe that faith in Christ is so important. Hebrews two eighteen reminds us, for he himself has suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are tempted. Mm-hmm. And knowing that Christ went through the same things and worse mm-hmm. that we have gone through in our lives really does mean that he understands what we're dealing with. And that's an important element of him being the priest in the prophet, priest, and king roles that he fills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we forget that the priest is not only traditionally the mediator between God and man, but they're the wise man who we go to for guidance. Right. Which is one of the reasons that I loved the priest character in the Daredevil, Netflix Daredevil series mm. so much. Yeah. He was just so integral to Matt Murdock's character the way that he should be <laughs> and consistent with the comics. So- off completely off topic, but I saw somebody chatting about, I guess this new Miss Marvel show on Netflix is going to, the main character is going to be Muslim. She is, yeah. Yeah, the the uh, somebody was saying, well, they never had a Christian superhero. And I'm like, uh... <laughs> oh, wait uh, a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Let's see, Daredevil, Captain America. America. <laughs> um, those are just in the MCU. Yeah. I, I, I want to say Peter Parker was nominal. Anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. off topic. But neither I just here nor yeah. there. So I 
think of all the times in scripture where the writer of an epistle closes off with a benediction. Mm. And there are many that fill this role. I grabbed 1 Peter 5.10 as an example. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. really does drive home for me that we depend on our relationship with God for restoration and for strength and for support. After Aaron died, for those who may not have heard me talk about it, our son died when he was one day shy of six months old, and circumstances led to a much more traumatic experience than even just the death of a child. Mm. My recovery could not have happened. I'm convinced it would have turned out drastically, tragically different if I had not been raised with strong Christians in my life, mm. with a uh, an upbringing and an, and an inherent understanding, uh, and for that matter, the presence of the Spirit within me, even though I accepted Him as a as a child, the Spirit indwelling me was so real, even when I was a terrible person. Dealing with the the recovery of of Aaron's death, I knew that the Spirit was working in me, and I I cannot fathom how I could have recovered without that anchor to hold me. Yeah, and I think to you know to cap that off, I think it's a good reminder to all of us. My dad, through the last few years, has found I think significant healing in volunteering with the Disabled Veterans Association. And other military vet, you know, reunions and, and, you know, organizations that help veterans and that kind of stuff. And I think that that is, you know, why God allows us to suffer is so that we can then be an encouragement when someone else is going through that suffering. So if you've been through a trauma, if you've been through your combat vet, or you've been through one of the other traumas that we've mentioned, it's something to remember that instead of focusing on how much you're hurt, look for the other people in your life who have similar hurts and be an encouragement to them. Because God gives us those experiences so that we can then speak into someone else's life and help them find healing. It's that healing through empathy idea. It's like you find someone else who is suffering and share their pain and help them through it. And you will, through that yeah. experience, find healing yourself. That's, I think, the kind of the underlying foundation of all of those verses. Reading back through them, that's anyway, that's the impression I get. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I feel like we really should say at the end here, if you're struggling with a trauma in your past, don't hesitate to reach out. Even if you just start with, you know, having coffee with a friend Mm -hmm. or talking to your pastor or your priest, or Mm -hmm. reaching out to a fellow vet, don't internalize it. Don't convince yourself that you can get through it. Because I'll tell you, even if you can, even if you can come out the other side of this struggle, you won't be the better person. Yeah. And I will add to this because of recent experiences with a veteran who is trying to find purpose by finding a relationship with a woman Don't go chasing after a woman to find solace 
for the pain until you've dealt with the pain. Because I think that, especially for this particular gentleman that I'm thinking of, and he's unlikely to hear this, but mm. I think that he represents quite a few veterans who came home to nothing and is trying to find something to fill that hole. Until you have dealt with your pain, your pain actually drives people away. And you have to find that healing because otherwise it becomes a burden that you're trying to throw on other people's shoulders. And I'm not saying yeah. that you can't yeah. share that pain because that's what we're encouraging you to do is to find someone to share the pain with. You don't seek a relationship to heal that pain. You heal the pain so that you can have relationships. And if you're going to go out like Jackson was at the beginning of this movie and try to find pick up a woman at a bar or whatever, or single site or whatever – you're not being honest enough with yourself about what you actually need. And you're expecting that woman to somehow heal your pain without you actually yeah. finding the correct. It's a wrong way to go about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that unfortunately that is why so many veterans end up alone and homeless sometimes or whatever is because they're seeking the wrong thing to stop the pain, drinking drugs, relationships and people always fail you only god will not fail you and so find the counseling which is what noah says you know and this is like you're not going out there trying to find a purpose you're trying to find healing and then the purpose will follow that i'm not a counselor <laughs> but i i strongly yeah. encourage anybody out there who is struggling with these kind of issues to to get the proper counseling to go find a therapist who specializes in ptsd and get the proper counseling. Because if you don't, it's always going to be something that trips you up. Yeah. Yeah. Very early in my military career, when I was still in training, I was waiting on my security clearance to come through. And I was put on a work detail where we were building a obstacle course. Mm -hmm. And I frequently joke about this episode because I, I comment that it was the first time that I ever worked with Marines. Because we were on a joint service base. And, you know, the, the different services got together to build the obstacle course. And at one point, two of us, a Marine and I, were carrying a telephone pole. And over the, the course of the work, he actually dropped his end of the telephone pole. It was completely an accident, but very much like a cartoon. The vibration shot up the telephone pole, and it bounced out of my hand and landed on my foot mm. and ended up breaking my foot. So I always, I always joke about how the first Marine that I ever worked with broke my foot. <laughs> but when I look at it, I couldn't have carried that telephone pole myself. Mm. I needed somebody who was strong enough and of the same mind to help move that telephone pole. And that's what these burdens are. Yeah. These burdens are more than we can bear alone. And we need somebody who is of the same mind to, to address them. And even if you don't reach out to God at first, reach out to somebody who's been there, who's done that. Right. Yeah. And uh, and that's going to be a good start. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And this is a heavy topic. And I hope that this episode is well received because it is different than typically. It's almost borders on what <laughs> I went is. through uh, with uh, 13 Reasons Why. But heavy topic. But it was a, an interesting movie. And I'm glad I saw it. And I'm not sure I'll see it again. But <laughs> I'm glad I saw it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch.
The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.